want to add my welcome to those of you who are new here today. Uh, my name is Alex, and uh, we're really delighted if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, especially if this is you know first time ever, first time in a long time in a church setting. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here, uh, at, whether you're in person or online. What we are all about is just connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, so together we can engage our world for good according to God's purposes, what God's up to in the world. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things. Again, whether you're in person or online, we are so glad you're joining us here today. Uh, we are closing out today a summer-long series called Signature Moments. We've been looking from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, beginning to end of the Bible, looking at these different stories of how God has had these signature moments and experiences with all kinds of different people along the way. And uh, we've been looking at these different stories, and we've been inviting you to tell us, what are you hearing? What are you seeing as we talk about and look at these different stories? And have been collecting your responses over the last nine weeks, and you can see they're out on the court board out in the lobby. But here's our kind of collection of your responses over the last nine weeks this is the last week of this uh the gold is god's activity god's signature activity uh what god has done in these different passages that stood out to you guys whether god's a redeemer god is love god is exalted god is accommodating he's a weaver god is present he has compassion god is sad uh, and then the, the blue is our responses what are faithful responses as best as we possibly can that we worship we walk in humility we share we uh pursue we fan the flame we move we step up we're fearless. Uh, we're gathering up these sort of signature moments between God and his people because when God's signature activity meets faithful response, it creates a signature moment that releases all kinds of beauty and truth and grace and love into a broken and weary world. And so we're trying to cultivate this throughout the course of uh, the summer. And as we wrap up today, we're going to do something a little bit different because obviously the stories we've been looking at in the scriptures have all been in the past. These are all stories from the Old and New Testament about how God has met people along the way. But the passage today is from the book of Revelation. And it's a picture of what's happening now and a little future orientation of what God's going to do in the future. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, the book of Revelation is the very last book of the Bible. It is famously difficult to interpret. Like, all kinds of arguments, disputes over what's going on in Revelation, how are things unfolding. Uh, and, and there's some things about the present and plenty of things about the future, like the end of the world kind of things. And part of the reason why it's so hard to discern what's actually going on is because John is in prison. He's writing this letter to a bunch of different churches. And he knows his letter is going to be read by the authorities. And so he's writing with all kinds of symbols. He's very cryptic. And the people in the first century would have understood much more clearly what John was trying to say than we understand here in the 21st century. So a lot of questions about what's going on and kind of what's happening. But here's the thing. John is both talking about what's happening in his present moment in the first century and he's talking about what, what God's going to do at the very end of all things and part of what John is doing is he's writing to churches that are under persecution right these churches are experiencing persecution and challenges and so what John is writing to them is, is, is he's telling them the really good news no matter what's going on in your persecution or your circumstances here's the good news Jesus is Lord he's on the throne God is in charge no matter what's going on and this morning, for some of you, that's your wildly important take-home. That's all you need to hear today. <laughs> no matter what's going on in your life, God is still on the throne. Jesus is still Lord. That's the good news that John is writing to a bunch of churches, some of whom are experiencing significant persecution. That is his wildly important take-home for the whole book of Revelation. Jesus is still Lord, no matter, what's go no matter what's going on in the world. So John is writing in sort of light of first century problems and also sort of projecting out and telling this beautiful picture, painting this beautiful picture. How is God going to make everything right in a broken and weary 
world. And so what you, one way to think about the Bible and how the Bible unfolds is as a five-act play. Now, I'm, I'm riffing a little bit off of a theologian named N.T. Wright. He's got this kind of a framework. A five-act play. Okay, so here's the five-act play of the Bible, right? Act one is creation and fall. That's just Genesis 1 through 3. God creates everything. We fall into sin. Act two is Israel, the whole rest of the Old Testament, what God's doing with his people of Israel, how it's unfolding. Act three is the turning point in the whole drama, the church. I mean, Jesus, who is the one who comes to make all things new again. He is the new creation. He's the fulfillment of all that Israel was supposed to be, and he is also the one that kickstarts God's new creation, his new work throughout history. And then act four is the church. You are here. We are here. The last 2,000 years of the church living out as faithfully as we know how. God's good work in the broken world. And then Act 5, the return of the king. The one who comes to make all things new and right again. The one who comes to restore and redeem and repair this broken and weary world. And so as we think about kind of Act 4, us being here in the church, part of our job as a church is to say, well, we've got the stories of Jesus. We've got the picture of Jesus in the scriptures. And we know what his storyline looked like. We know what his plot line looked like. And we have a picture, the very, very first pictures of Act 5, what happens when Jesus returns. Just a few glimpses of what happens when Jesus returns. And part of our job as a church is to live between Act 3 and Act 5 as faithfully as we can. To connect the dots between Jesus' life and the return of the king when everything is made new and right again. So we have a couple thousand years of church history. And here's the deal. Churches are full of people. And people have problems. And people are messy and people have made all kinds of mistakes and if you look at 2,000 years of church history it's this total mixed bag some people have faithfully followed Jesus and man made all kinds of difference in the world like things that people in the first century could not have imagined people who've been following Jesus have accomplished over the last 2,000 years like abolishing slavery for example that was Jesus followers doing beautiful things and then there's all kinds of mess and heartache and brokenness because the church has been so imperfect all these years so part of our job as a 21st century church, is to live between the times, between the time of Jesus and the return of the king, as consistent, as congruent as we possibly can with Jesus and what he's going to come to do. And so the scene that Sean just read for us so beautifully out of, uh, out of Revelation 5 is sort of the last, is, is sort of current and future. It's kind of the last scenes of Act 4. What is, God, what is Jesus going to do? How is it going to play out? And the very beginnings of Act 5 where, where the return of the king who comes to make all things new. And so as we step into this signature scene of worship we get a picture of God who's in charge, God who's on the throne and what does it mean for us to be people who worship and fall in line with what God's doing in the world. We get some really big answers to some really big questions. Who are we in light of what God's doing and what are we here to do? Why are we here? What does it mean for us to live as people who are following Jesus and trying to live out the Jesus story as best we possibly can here in this world. And so we're going to get some answers to some really big questions, some identity, some who are you, and some what are we here to do. Those questions are obviously about us, but it starts with the worship of Jesus. That's where the story begins. That's where the scene opens in Revelation 5, 2. Here's how the scene ends that Sean just read. 5, verse 2, the question goes out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Now this is the kickoff event, right, of the beginning of the end. This is the kickoff event that's going to start of the work of Jesus coming to sort of clean out the world, to redeem the world, to make it whole and holy again. And initially, no one is found to be worthy. No one is found to be worthy. And John writes that he wept and wept and wept. He's so heartbroken because no one is found to be worthy to help make the world right again. 
And then one of the elders says this to John, and we're not sure what the elders stand for, kind of who the elders are, but one of the elders there in the scene says this, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And from this moment, throughout the whole rest of Revelation, the good news that Jesus is Lord is going to be worked out in very practical ways. He's going he's to reclaim all that's his, not just in the spiritual world, but in the very physical world that we live in as well. So he's going to come and reclaim all that's his. But as glorious as all that is, the initial thing that John sees is not especially compelling in a particular way. Because the heavenly elder called him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So tribe of Judah, that was a, that was a, a family that would turn into a state. There was a state called you know, Judah and the, the nation of kind of Israel. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. David was Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather. I'm not sure I got the right number of greats, but you get what I'm talking about. He is related in this line. He has triumphed. He has overcome. So there's this great, beautiful picture of Jesus as a lion who has conquered. But the thing that John sees is this. Then I saw not a lion, but a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. So here's the deal. You got Jesus, who is both a lion and a lamb, both. He is the lion, he's the king of the beasts, the top of the food chain, the one who conquers all things. And he is the lamb who was slain to save your life and my life together. See, throughout church history, here's what you got. You got all kinds of people who prefer one or the other, right? Some of us. Some people really love Jesus as a lion, right? Peacemaker, kind of the one who serves and gives his life up as a ransom. Some of us really love the lion part of Jesus and don't really, like the lamb part of Jesus and don't really want the lion part of Jesus. That feels a little bit aggressive and risky. On the other hand, some of us like Jesus as the lion, right? Like the, the churches that John is writing to, they've got all kinds of problems, all kinds of enemies. You want a lion fighting for you, right? If, you, if you're being put up, beat up by the bully, you want a bully to beat up the bullies. And in fact, Later in the book of Revelation, the imagery that we're going to get for what God's people are up against, what the church is up against, what God is up against, is going to be a dragon. So here's the question. Who do you want fighting against a dragon? A lamb that looks like it's already been slain or a lion? Take your pick. It's not one or the other. It's both. But as the book of Revelation makes this crazy cosmic turn to this Armageddon battle between God and evil and Satan and all his minions. And the battle to sort of reclaim all of heaven and earth. The, the primary image that John sees is a lamb who was slain. Because it, as it turns out, the lamb who was slain, that being slain is what gives a lamb authority and power to conquer the dragon. In fact, the lamb who was slain is the perfect sacrifice. Because he's the perfect sacrifice, he now has, as he said to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Because he's the perfectly obedient one. And so the great cloud of witnesses in heaven sing the slain lamb's praises. Here's what they said. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Why are you worthy to kickstart everything, the end of the world and the redemption of all things? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people 
and nations. Note the worthiness is not in spite of the fact that he was slain, but because he was slain. There is one name and one sacrifice great enough to forgive us all our sins and reconcile us to God. His name is Jesus. And note what the goal is, right? To purchase people from every tribe and language and people and nation. My friends, in a weary world that's kind of broken across lines of race and ethnicity and culture, this one name and one power to bring us all together, his name is Jesus. He's the great reconciler to heal the brokenness between peoples and nations. And one day, all shall be well. All shall be brought together under the great power and banner of Jesus. The song goes on. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The lamb who was slain is going to go head to head with the dragon and the lamb's going to win. The lamb is going to win. The lamb who looked like he was slain who was slain, is going to win. And this is so crucial to how the economy of the kingdom works. We're going to make this our last kind of God's signature. God's signature is this. Sacrifice that looks like foolishness and defeat is turned into honor, glory, power, strength. Sacrifice that looks like foolishness, shame, defeat is turned into glory, honor, power, wisdom, wealth. When done in obedience to God, as a part of God's purposes in the world, when we make sacrifices, just like Jesus did, he, and we walk in his steps, God is good to gather them up, even if they look terrible in the moment, even if they look painful in the moment. Look, look, when the lamb was slain, when Jesus laid down his life, it didn't look especially victorious. There's mockers in the crowd saying, he saved others, why can't he save himself? Didn't look so good in the moment. Did, like, God doesn't come through for him, does he? God does not save Jesus from the cross. It looks like shame, defeat, humiliation, brokenness. And yet, because he willingly gives himself up in obedience to God the Father, that sacrifice is turned into glory, honor, praise, wisdom, celebration, and worship. Throughout the centuries, churches, people, Christians like you and me have seen that this is God's signature and have said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be in step with that. I'm going to cultivate this same faithful response. And the faithful response is that we too make sacrifices that look like foolishness and defeat, <laughs> trusting they'll be turned into honor, glory, and power just like his. Sometimes, not always, we are called to make sacrifices that look a lot like Jesus's in our own small little ways where these are things that look like shame or defeat, and we just trust that God who is good will turn them into honor, glory, and power, just like his, redemption, beauty. Throughout church history, people made sacrifices that didn't always look like they turned out so well initially, just like Jesus, right? There's been people who have confessed Christ and been thrown into jail, separated from children they love and spouses they love for Jesus' name. There have been Christians who have been confessed Christ and been killed, thrown to lions or burned alive in Jesus' name. Name. There have been Christians who have felt the call to leave good-paying jobs, to go do something crazy, to, to start an orphanage or start a nonprofit, to solve some of the world's biggest problems, or to serve in a church, or to give their life over, just like Jesus did. There have been people throughout Christian history who have stood up against something wrong in the workplace, knowing it could cost them their job, and it did cost them their job. There have been people who have stood up to unjust laws and unjust kind of movements in their nation, their country, and they have paid the price. There have been people who have confessed Christ or become a Christian, even though it cost them their family of origin, who mocked them and scorned them, and uh, some, of, some, who, some of whom were even disowned along the way. There are times when, when 
following Jesus for almost all of us at some point is going to call, going to invite us to make a sacrifice of some sort that doesn't always look like initially like it turned out so well. But we trust on the other side that the same God and Father that came through for Jesus will come through for us. For some of you today, that's where you are. For some of you today, the Lord is inviting you to take a step of faith, to take a risk of some sort. And that type of faith, I don't know what it might be. It might be, it might be to sort of dive into, start something new, engage in something new, uh, roll your sleeves up, dig into a problem in the world that God's calling you to do. For some of you, it's just like coming to church. Like it's like a big deal. It's been uh, maybe your first time or maybe it's been a long, long, long time since you've been involved in a church community. And that's like a big step for you and doesn't always make sense. And given your baggage and given your background or given your concerns or questions, maybe it doesn't always feel like it totally makes sense. But the invitation is to take the step. Take the step. Take the step. Is there a... Is there a place where the Lord is inviting you to take a step that on paper maybe doesn't make sense to you? You know it's not going to make sense to people around you. And yet you have a sense that God's calling me to do this. Can you trust? Are you willing to trust? The same God that came through for Jesus will come through for you too. Inviting you into a place where you might make a sacrifice for sure that he turns into glory, honor, beauty, redemption, strength. Now, nested in the praises of Jesus and the lion and the lamb are these descriptions of kind of who are we and why are we here. Some beautiful names, some beautiful titles to help us understand kind of who, we're, who are we as God's people and what does it mean to live out as God's people in light of what God's up to in the world. And this song uh, st- gives us a, a, some beautiful names and titles to work off of. Here's Revelation 5.10 again. You have made these people, these are the, the, the songs of heaven again. You've made them, that's humans, followers of Jesus, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Many years ago when I was working with college students, I worked, uh, we had a Thursday night large group meeting that was similar to this. We'd have a a band and a worship band, and we'd bring in a speaker from the outside, often like a local pastor or a missionary, uh, to to kind of just give a talk on a piece of scripture or whatever. So it was was similar on a Thursday night meeting. And one Thursday night, uh, this this woman came in to to give the talk, And she opened with this line. Her line was, I always knew that I was supposed to be a princess. And like half the room groaned, like, ugh. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes hearing about princesses and knights and castles. And then what she proceeded to do from the opening line of, I've always known I was meant to be a princess, from the, for, the, for the next 20 minutes, she went through in rigorous theological detail and unpacked how many passages call us, who are Jesus followers, royalty everywhere kings queens prince princesses all this royalty language all throughout the new testament what does it mean to be a jesus follower living between act three his death and resurrection on the cross and act five when he comes to make all things new the scriptures say that he that god has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our god and we're kingdom, not just citizens of the kingdom, not just sort of servants in the kingdom. We, we're going to reign on the earth. You will reign over the earth. Whether you've always known you were made to be a royalty or not, this is what God intended us to do. So as Jesus followers, as Christians, what is our job and who are we to be? We are to be people who are reigning. Living, learning how it is. Like in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings in his image. And he says, I want you to rule, have dominion 
over this place. It's like, it's like God invented a new board game. Okay, we, we, we actually have a couple in our church who, like, who invents board games, like recreationally. Such a strange, wonderful, beautiful thing. Uh, so it's like God invented a board game. He made this game, and, he, and like something came along, and someone came along and messed up all the rules and messed up all the players. And here's the deal. God likes this board game. The board game is I'm going to create people in my image, and your job is to reign and rule over the earth to demonstrate my goodness, my grace, my glory, my perfection, my love, everywhere you go to make this place beautiful. Step into paradise to make it more paradisal. And God really likes that game. And God's going to win that game. The game he created in the beginning with people in his image who are reigning and ruling over the thing he creates and goes to make it beautiful. That's the work God has given us to do. Theologian uh, and philosopher Dallas Willard had this great quote. He said, we are in training for reigning. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We're in training for reigning. That as we follow Jesus, as we apprentice under him, as we learn what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower, we are learning what it looks like to demonstrate something of God's character, God's grace, God's beauty. Wherever God has you, wherever God has you, you bring something of God's character and grace and beauty to that place, just like Jesus did. Jesus shows us what does it look like to be a perfectly faithful human being. He shows us what it looks like. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's life in his wake because he is full of the spirits and he reigns and rules like God intended us to do in the very beginning. So we learn what does it mean to bring the grace of God, the beauty of God, the love of God to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your school, to your sports teams. What does it look like for you to be in training for reigning, to bring the spirit of Christ and the goodness of God wherever God has you to whatever work God has given you to do? We're in training for reigning. Who are we in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and in light of who we're going to be at the end of all things? We are, we are royalty. We're Men and women, God's training to be and reigning over all things. And then there's a second quote that we get from the song of heavens about human beings. They, they sing out this, that you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Priests. In college, I had a sense that I was going to do ministry, that that was something I was called to do. And, and, and here's the thing. I did not want to do church work because it sounded stodgy and boring. And so I spent 16 years working with college students uh, doing campus ministry. I think that's why I talk so fast. I blame college students. 16 years working with college students. Uh, and, and because it was, and, 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 I, and as I was doing that and doing that work, and I love that work, but as God made my, my gifts more and more clear, and as I got a little bit older, it became more and more clear that my gifts and the work of church looked like they pretty much lined up. And then God opened the door for me to come here to Chatham Community Church. And let me tell you what, this place has been anything but stodgy and boring. Thank you for not being stodgy and boring. Way to go. Give yourselves a hand. That's right. That's right. Thank you for not being stodgy and boring. Here's the deal. Like, the Lord has done amazing things here in the last 11. I mean, like, this building, this place. Like, God's doing amazing things for the last 11 years. Greater things ahead. Let's go, church. So good. So good. So good what God's up to. So beautiful. So wonderful. I didn't think I wanted to do church work. And then the Lord brought me here. And it's been such a joy to be a part of this community and see what God's up to. In a similar way, some of you see that the scriptures say that you've been called to be a priest, made to be a priest in the kingdom of God. And some of you see the idea or the title priest and you wonder, can I get a different job in the kingdom of God? 
other, other, other positions available in the kingdom of God. Can I apply to something else? Some of you would feel much more comfortable as a, like an elementary school teacher in the kingdom of God. Some of you would rather work IT in the kingdom of God. Some of you would rather be real estate broker in the kingdom of God. Some of you would rather be a Walmart greeter in the kingdom of God. Anything but a priest. A priest sounds like weird and intense and all that kind of thing. But here's, but here's the thing. The Lord has given you the spirit and invited you to be a priest in the kingdom of God. Not just a select few, but everybody. A priest in the kingdom of God. And the priest's job kind of worked two ways. The priest's job was to sort of teach God to the people. Open up the scriptures and help them understand who God was. But they, the priest's job was also to re represent the world back up to God. Through sacrifices and leading in worship and particularly through prayer. The priest's job was to pray, pray for the people, pray for the nation, pray for the situations and circumstances that were broken in the world. The priests were to be lead prayers. And throughout Revelation, there's these beautiful places where the prayers of the priests, y'all, are a part of Jesus inaugurating Act 5, the return of the king, the end of all things and the renewal of everything. There's a couple beautiful places where we get these little details. Here's Revelation 5, 8 again. The, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Pause there, my friends. Every single one of your prayers in Jesus' name is in that bowl. Every prayer you've ever prayed, no matter how faltering, no matter how feeble, no matter like how distracted you were about, no matter how much of an ADD prayer you are, Every prayer that you've ever prayed in Jesus' name is gathered up in that bowl in the presence of God. He loves, loves, loves to hear the prayers of the priests, the people in Jesus' name. Later, those same prayers get, get referenced again. This is Revelation 8. We didn't read this earlier, but here's Revelation 8. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before, the, before God from the angel's hand. And, and the verses that follow in Revelation 8, what happens is this. All those prayers collected in the bowls. You know, what, you know what the angel does? God pours those prayers back on the earth and it's a part of making all things new. Your imperfect prayers, my imperfect prayers, your distracted prayers, my distracted prayers are a part of the return of the king. Are a, are, God uses them to make this place whole and holy again so that the king can reign. That you and I might be kings and queens here on the earth. God uses our prayers to accomplish the end of all things. And so, my friends, if there is a bowl in heaven with the prayers of all of us, you know what our job is? You know what a faithful response is? Fill the bowl, my friends. Fill the bowl. You're a priest. God has made you to be a priest. The blood of Christ covers you. You are invited to the presence of God. And every single one of your prayers is gathered up into the bowl that God's going to pour back out onto the earth to make all things new, to make all things new. Every broken thing, every heartbreaking thing, no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain, no more death. Because the old order of things has passed away. And do you know the instrument, a part of the way that God's going to make all things new? Through your prayers. And so, my friends, as we close out this series, the signature closing moment with Jesus includes our prayers. The prayers of saints that have gone before us for 2,000 years or for however long the thing continues to play out. Those prayers are gathered up in Jesus' name. And so we pray 
We pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. We pray that, that God would end the brokenness and end the pain. We pray that, that God would do something new in our communities. We pray that God would bring new life. We pray that God would bring healing and restoration. But because we know this world was made for so much more than it is, we pray especially for people who are far from the king to draw near, to know that they are loved. On Friday, about 10 or so folks from our prayer team gathered here in the lobby, and, uh, and, and, we, and they were gathering. We gathered together to pray, to do a prayer walk over the property. And uh, I put together some prompts for the prayer team to pray. They didn't need it. Most of them are better prayers than I am. That was fine. But I gave them some prompts in case they wanted some prompts for how to pray. And I said, hey, I said, hey, pray through the parking lot. Just pray that God meets people as they're pulling up. Because if you're brand new and you're pulling in the parking lot, you can be anxious. And there could be all kinds of blockage and weird stuff. Just pray over the parking lot. Be a place of peace. And pray outside the building. And then pray through all, all the spaces. And, and I said, hey, whenever you're outside, at some point when you're outside praying around the building or praying through the parking lot, here's what I want you to do. Turn and face away from the property and pray for Chatham County. Pray for our neighbors. Because everything that happens here has got to bless people out there. Everything that happens here has got to bless people out there. Everything that happens here is supposed to fill the streets out there to go out into the neighborhoods, to the workplaces, the highways and byways, to bring for us to be instruments of grace and mercy. This place, this church, we're not to be a cul-de-sac of the Spirit. We're to be a funnel of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying that God enlarges our funnel to pour out more grace, more beauty, more truth, more justice, more righteousness. Not self-righteousness, real righteousness. More redemption power through our little community into the world than ever before. So we face out and we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done and for people to be reconciled to the king. Your neighbors, your family members, your friends, the people on your soccer team, the people in your school, the people on your, on your pickleball team court thing that you play, whatever you pickleball people do. Wherever God has you, has you interacting with people who don't know him. He invites us to be praying and praying and praying. So we're going to close this morning as we wrap up the series, as we look to fall and fall kickoff next week. And we're inviting 17,000 of our closest friends to come and join us. We're going we're to close out the series by praying in light of what we've been looking at with these signature moments. Because we've, we've collected these signature moments, these signature actions for the last nine weeks. And we're going to pray these back up to God and ask him to do these signature activities in our community leading into our fall. Here's, here's a, a five ish of the top five-ish of God's signatures that are on the board out there in the lobby and down in Pittsburgh. The things that we've heard over and over and over again from y'all is that God's signature activity looks like he corrects, he leads, he invites, he is truth and he speaks truth and he redeems. And then some signature response, that faithful response that y'all have noted along the way in the, in the stories we've looked at is that our response is to move, to repent, to listen, to trust, and to Surrender. These are some of the things, some of the top five of the things we've heard in the, uh, in the response times over the last few weeks. Next week's our fall kickoff, like I said. We're going to invite 17,000 of our closest friends to come and hear the good news of a God who loves them and is for them. And we're praying that they have a great time with the bounce houses and the ice cream and all that kind of stuff. But we're praying especially that the Lord uses that to gather people together to know a king and a God who loves them and who died for them. And before we do all that... We're going to fill the bowl with prayers for our community. We're going to fill the bowl asking God to pour out the prayers back on our community to do what only the Lord can do. So on your chair this morning was a golden-ish uh, note card. So grab that for me real quick. Grab that for me. We're going to grab this golden-ish note card, and we're going to use these words as a way to pray for our community as we close out the series and move into our fall here, uh, next week. So... Um, on the, on the note cards, there's also a pencil or a pen in the seat pocket in front of you. So I invite you to grab that and then pull that out. I'm going to invite you to sort of 
pray uh, through these prayer prompts. I'm going to put some prayer prompts up here, and we're going to invite you to use these words as a way to pray for our community. So prayer prompt number one, here's the prayer prompt. I'm praying for God's signature what? Blanket word, signature activity from the bottom. Signature correction, signature leadership, signature invitation, signature truth, signature redemption. To be poured out on blank. And these are people or place that you're a part of where folks who don't know the Lord, people who are far from the Lord. And maybe some of you, that's where you are. Like you're not a Jesus follower, you're just kind of here today. So glad you're here. We're praying for God's signature grace, correction, leadership, invitation, truth, and redemption to be poured out in your life. And so I'm going to let you kind of sit on this for just a minute. Uh, where has God put you? And what are those five words particularly stands out to you? What would you love to see the Lord do in your family, among your friends, among your coworkers, your colleagues, on the job site, in your classroom? I'm going to give you just a minute to go ahead and jot down a response to these prompts as a way for you to pray here. We're going to pray these cards back to the Lord in just a second. So take a minute to write this out and pick a word and a place you can ask for prayer for. And then on the back, I'm going to invite you to do part two of this prayer. And part two of the prayer is this. I'm praying for this faithful response. And faithful response is, again, from the lobby out in the back of the words we've heard, to move, to repent, to listen, to trust, to surrender. I'm praying for this faithful response for the people that I love that I've listed it on the front. And here's how I'm responding, right? So it's not just for someone else to respond. I'm also going to respond. I'm also going to move. I'm also going to surrender. I'm also going to look for ways to sort of respond to God's prompting. How is God prompting you to move? Maybe there's a sacrifice you feel like he's calling you to move. Maybe make there's, maybe there's a, a, some sense in your own spirit that God's up to something that he wants you to do. I'm going to invite you to sort of, it's not just for someone out there. It's also an opportunity for us to respond to God's faithfulness. So how is God inviting you to respond? So what faithful response is God moves and the community around you, among your family or friends, what would you love to see them to do? How would you love for them to respond? And then how might you respond? What is, what is the thing that you feel like God's calling you to do? It could be a word from down there. It could be something totally different. Just take a minute to go ahead and fill that out. Now, here's what we want to invite you to do is we want to invite you to make this your prayer for the week. How many times can you pray this card? How many times can you pray through this card this week? Uh, just asking the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. So we're going to start here in just a minute uh, by praying, inviting, giving you a minute to pray silently and uh, to engage with this card uh, on your own before the Lord. But I've asked Cooley to come up and lead us in, in, in her prayer for her community. She, uh, she got a sneak peek of this. She didn't just write this just now. Uh, uh, full, full disclosure, uh, but I've asked her to lead us in prayer for her community, and then, I'll, and then I'm going to invite you to kind of pray uh, in light of the card as well that you've just written down and the, and the place God's put you. So uh, let's move now to a time of prayer, and Cooley, would you mind leading us into a time of prayer? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that no matter how often I drift away from this truth, 
It doesn't change its reality. You are God, and you reward those who seek you. I thank you that you're always the one who initiates the conversation with me, with all of us. So here I am to answer your invitation. Lord, I want to pray now for your signature redemption to be poured out on those I work with in my job as a counselor. I pray for those who are in bondage to past hurts, disappointment with themselves and others, and to holding their pain around them as a protective blanket. I pray for you to redeem them from the many ways that unhealthy behaviors and addictions, including to substances, resentment, self-sufficiency, devices, and distractions, keep them trapped in a life that is so much less than what you want for them. May you enable them to forgive themselves as you have for the many ways they settle for less than what you know can be theirs. Free them, Lord, from the worry, the fear, the belief that nothing will change, that they or those they love won't change. Break through those lies by your great power. Save them from all that would steal, kill, and destroy the fullness of life you want for them. Instead, Lord, please fill them with a trust in who and what you are rather than in what they are not. Let each of them see you, the rewarder of those who seek you, and trust that you are always working to free them to enjoy the rich life that only you can give. When doubt or trouble arises, may your spirit's power remind them that you are the eternal yes, who is always doing a new thing and waiting to answer them. May they be able to trust you as they've never been able to trust anyone else because you alone are always faithful to who you are, the redeemer of the world. Lord Jesus, this week, please bring to mind the specifics you would have me pray for each of my clients each day. I trust that you will give me fresh supplies of your compassion and wisdom. I also trust that your spirit will keep my eyes and heart open to see how you are working to heal and redeem in each of their lives. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Now take a second to pray through your card in light of what you've written down and what's on your heart. Take us a, take us a few seconds to pray through the folks on your card and the prompts that you've written down. Oh Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that these prayers fill your bowl. And would we continue to pray these prayers before you? Would you gather these prayers up and pour them back on our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and colleagues that your spirit might move in a particular way, in a beautiful way, in a special way to bring redemption and renewal and hope across our community this week in a new way. We pray and ask these things boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.